remember that by His grace, He's already given you eternal comfort and good hope. Those resources are there waiting for you to pause and to pray and to take hold of. Thessalonians. Uh, we've talked about the past. We've talked about past progress uh, that the Thessalonians were making that you have made as well. Uh, we've talked about present error last week and uh, some of the uncommon sense that we need uh, in each situation. And this week, now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, there's a bit of a pause. There's a bit of a pause for prayer before we talk about the future next week. There's been past progress. There's been some present error. And then next week, we're going to talk about some future growth. But before we really push on and, 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 and look for the growth in our life, in our church family, we need to pause and we need to pray. And this little passage, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 it's a bit of a transition. It's how Paul goes from now to what's coming next. And he transitions with prayer. There's a bit of a pause for prayer. And Paul, again, Paul uses this, this wonderful prayer to go between uh, periods of time. And it's something that we can absolutely do as well. We don't need to do it between these big periods of time like the present and the future. We can use this in our daily lives, uh, as we're going to talk about. Uh, C.S. Lewis also likes this idea of transitioning between time periods, days even, with prayer. And he once wrote that the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And your first job each morning is to shove them all back, to push them all back, and to listen to that other voice, to take in that other point of view, letting the other bigger, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. He's talking about starting every day with prayer. So as Paul is transitioning between these big periods, the present and, and, and the future, C.S. Lewis is saying, look, do that every day. Wake up in the morning and start your new day. Pause for prayer before you get going with your day. So Paul is moving then from the past progress into the present error. And next week on to future growth. But first he's going to pause and he's going to pray. So as Tommy read for us earlier, now let's read again together. Verses 13 and 14, and we'll first see what Paul was praying about. So read with me 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He called you to this salvation through our gospel so that you may possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's praying and he's praising God for what God has done in the lives of the Thessalonians. And he starts this little passage. Uh, notice with me in verse 13 with but. 
So he's kind of joining on from last week, but making a very, very clear distinction. And last week we finished with this truth that those people uh, in our lives, in our world, in the world, who have not found and will not find room in their hearts for the love of the truth. We read last week that all of them who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. And now Paul says, but. So kind of carrying on that thought, we're making a very clear break and a distinction. But we ought to thank God for you. What he's saying is we are indebted to God. We are bound by God to pray and thank him for you. Because God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So while he's been teaching and encouraging and and challenging and correcting the Thessalonians with his writing, Paul's kind of hit pause for a bit and he's praying and he says that he is indebted, he's bound to thank God for these people, these believers that he loves, that he cannot be with altogether, face to face, for the moment, he says, I feel I've just got to pray for you. You've got to thank God for you because God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and by faith in the truth. And these two big ideas go together so well to give us a bit of the, 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 the bigger picture of our Christian life. First, God chose you from the beginning for salvation. And then the ongoing bit of that is your sanctification by the Spirit and your faith in the truth. I've got to pray for you because God has chosen you to be saved. And then the ongoing stuff that I'm going to pray for is your sanctification and your faith in the truth. We're all going to meet people who claim to be chosen, who say, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. You give me the form to fill in. How do I look at the world? They're going to tick Christian. Lots of people are going to claim that. They're going to claim to be chosen, as, as, as Paul writes it. But sadly, there is no evidence in their life of their sanctification by the Spirit. There's no evidence that they're claiming to be, while some people might claim to be like the Thessalonians and be chosen by God, there is no evidence that they're being sanctified. And Paul makes it quite clear that the two can't be viewed separately. You can't consider yourself chosen by God for salvation, but then not be in this this process of sanctification. Because as we talked about when we worked through the book of James last year, the fruit will always prove the root. So if we're saying, if we're claiming, yeah, I I believe, I know, I'm chosen by God for salvation, that's what we're claiming is the root in our lives. But if there's no fruit coming from that root, it's, yeah, there needs to be proof because the fruit will always prove the root. 
If we're claiming that God has chosen us for salvation, there needs to be proof that he is working in you. Very, very simply, people will be able to see your sanctification by the Spirit. They'll be able to see your faith in the truth. And I read this week that we cannot see, we cannot ever tell for sure if a person is chosen. That's not our place. That's not our job. If we're trying to ascertain that, if we're trying to work that out, we're putting ourselves on a, on a, on a par with, with God. And that's, no, we cannot see if a person is chosen, but we can see if they are being sanctified. God has chosen the Thessalonians for salvation. Paul is praising in his prayers for that. And let me tell you right now that I firmly and truly believe, because we read it in Scripture, that God has chosen you for salvation too. We read that his, his desire, his heart, his wish is that nobody will perish, but everybody will come to know the truth, love the truth. God has chosen you for salvation too. You are with us now because God has chosen you for salvation, to be here in this time, in this place, to be part of his church, to be here in his word now, Friday the 19th of March 2021. It's not an accident or a coincidence that you're with us now. It's part of this bigger picture proof that God has chosen you for salvation. You could be doing anything else in the world right now, but you're not. You're with us now. You're gathering. Yes, we're fractured, we're broken, we're dispersed around the country, around the world, but you are still making time, laying aside Friday morning to gather with and as God's people. Maybe there's just you. Maybe there's five of you. Maybe there's nine of you. Maybe there's 29 of you. But we are all together, heart to heart. You could be doing anything else in the world right now, but you're not. Last week we said that God doesn't force us into right relationship with him. There's no forced love. He is sovereign and he has chosen. He, he has known in advance the outcome of your salvation. But he will never force it upon you. A forced freedom. There's no forced love. There's no coercion. Because his sovereignty, the fact that all things, whether you think they're big, small, important or not, all things are under his rule and control and nothing happens outside of his permission or declaration. Nothing happens that he has not said, all right, sure. His sovereignty doesn't cancel out the need for you to participate in the process and to exercise your God-given free will. There is a beautiful, beautiful unity in the two. In our minds, they're so separate. God is sovereign, so he has decided or declared or allowed everything, or I can choose everything and it's all up to me. But in scripture, they sit side by side in beautiful unity. They work together for God's glory and for your story. 
So Paul goes on, he says, God has called you to salvation. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. I've got to pray for you because God has chosen you. You've been sanctified. I can see that in your life. I've seen that in your life. I've got to pray for you. God has chosen you, called you for salvation. You're being sanctified. You're still keeping up with your faith in the truth. And he says in verse 14, he's call, he called you to, to this salvation through our gospel, so that you may possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our being saved from the consequences of our sin, Paul writes, comes through the gospel, the good news, which big picture is the whole of Scripture, which wholly points to the Savior. And in a kind of a more narrow sense, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Very explicitly, it's concerning Christ, his work on the cross, his death for you, and his resurrection. This is what sets our faith apart from every other worldview, religion, belief system, whatever you like to call it. Everything. Anything out there, this is what sets our faith apart. The good news that your salvation is already assured, already purchased, waiting for you to take hold of it by faith, faith in the truth, as Paul writes. And how this comes to you, again as Paul writes, is through our gospel. What he's saying is that your salvation comes through the Savior that is preached to you, taught to you, declared to you, and proclaimed to you. Why? So that you might possess the glory of our Lord Jesus. He's talking about the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the love. This all comes together to, with some other stuff. This all comes together for the glory of the Lord Jesus. His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, His love. In his prayer for the Thessalonians then, so far, Paul has very simply just recounted and recalled, hasn't he, God's role in their, in their lives. We thank God for you. have got to thank God for you. have got to pray for you because he has chosen you. We pray prayers of praise to God for you because we can see he's working in you, your sanctification, and through you and with you. He's called you to this. He's chosen you. He knows in advance your response to his call. He's called you through this, through his word being taught, through God's word being put into your world. And you're going to possess the glory, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the love, the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Recounting. And recalling God's word, God's deeds, God's promises in our prayers to him is essential. Anchoring your prayers in him is absolutely essential. If that kind of sounds, oh wow, where, where, where do I even start with rooting and anchoring my prayers to God? In God. If that sounds like a bit of a difficult thing, you don't know where to start with that, just open up your Bible, read 
See what's going on. Think about what's going on. What's God doing here? What is this showing me about God? And then pray about it. Prayers of praise, of adoration, of awe. Prayers with questions. Prayers about things that you read that make you feel a bit uncomfortable because that doesn't seem quite right the first time you read it. Prayers about things that you don't understand. Uh, Lord, you said this, but then I've just read something very, very different, it seems. Prayers of humility, because when we see God for who he is in his word, we cannot not see ourselves as the fallen and fallible creation that we are. If you don't know how to recount and to recall God's words and his deeds and his promises to him in prayer, as, as Paul is doing for the Thessalonians, just open up your Bible and read and then pray. So Paul is praying because God has effected their salvation and it has affected them. So God has put this salvation into action. He is the initiator, the instigator in this. And it's changing the Thessalonians. And then he says, look with me in verse 15. So we're praying this prayer. All the stuff that we just said, we don't need to say it again. We're praying this prayer. And then he says in verse 15, Therefore, so because you're saved from the consequence of your sin, because of Jesus, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught, that we taught you, whether by speech or by letter. So God has chosen you for salvation. So because of this, because... God has chosen you because you are saved. Paul says, stand firm, keep going, be constant, be consistent, persevere is what he's saying. And how important has that been for us this last 12 months? Because you are a believer, keep going. Be constant, be consistent, persevere, and hold on on to the traditions that we taught you is what he's saying whether by speech or by letter very very simply stick with what you know to be true what you have been taught to be true the traditions is what Paul is saying and here is where we need to take just a quick look at the words that he is using to help us to understand at what he is really saying. So traditions can mean different things to different people, uh, can't they? And we're reading God's word to us that traditions uh, can be a very, very dangerous thing. They can be very, very important in, um, in man-made religious systems. You've got to do this, this place, this day, this time. You don't do... Traditions can be very, very dangerous the word that Paul uses that we read as traditions is very, very simply something that is, is, is given to you. In the New Testament in particular, it's used to talk about what is being taught, what you have been taught about the truth. There's a Bible scholar uh, called Adam Clark wrote that Paul is talking about anything 
that is delivered in the way of teaching. Whether it's uh, preaching, whether it's private conversations, whether it's letters, things that he wrote, whatever is delivered and taught is what Paul is talking about with tradition. So he's saying, remember, hold on to everything that you were taught. Hold on to the Bible teaching that you receive. How much you receive of it is up to you, simply. Uh, when you've got it, don't let go, is what Paul is saying. Stand firm and hold on to the traditions that we taught you, whether by speech or letter. So God chose you, yes. God saved you, yes. But you need to partner with him and do some stuff. You need to keep yourself constant and consistent. You need to build godly habits into your life, patterns of behavior that glorify God and keep you constant and consistent in His Word. You need to keep a firm grip on what you know to be true, even though everything else around you might be changing. And you need to make sure you're living in line with the traditions that you are being taught. My job is to teach you the traditions. What does God say in His Word to you? But then it is your job to, to live in those lines. The Scriptures that are being opened and explained and applied, you've got to hold firm to them. You've got to stand firm. You've got to choose how you're going to live within those lines because God has chosen you, saved you, restored you, forgiven you. You need to hold firm to him and his truths and you need to live for them out. We're all, all of us, you, me, we, we're all living in a fallen world and we are all fallible people. We all make mistakes. Uh, don't we? We're all prone to wander, as that great old hymn tells us. We're all at risk of being just swept away uh, by the culture, the ungodly culture uh, that we all live in. And some of the hardest, most heartbreaking things uh, about pastoring a church is watching people not do this, not stand firm. To, to watch people not hold on to the traditions, to the teaching that they've been given and slowly, but very, very surely, just get swept away by the ungodly culture that surrounds us. Things like selfishness, materialism, idolatry, anything and everything that doesn't have God as number one, watching people not stand firm. And watching people not hold on to what they've been taught is, is heartbreaking. Even more so when you know you've talked about <laughs> what they need to be doing. Or when you've tried to intervene and they reject your intervention too. Please don't be those people. Hold on to what you are being taught. Please don't be those people. Not because it makes me sad, but because this is what God wants for you. Because this is what you were made to do, to live a life 
that glorifies God, that's how he made you to live, as much as it rests on you, as much as it concerns you, wherever you have a choice, please stand firm, hold on to the traditions that we taught you and keep going forward. There is a part to play for you here. This is not an entirely passive thing that just happens to you. Yes, God has saved you. God has wiped clear the record of your sin. He is the instigator, the initiator, the driving force. He has done that for you. But then we must partner with him. There is a part to play for you and for me as well. This is not a passive thing like sitting in the sunshine and waiting for your skin to change color. This, there, is a, there is an active part for you to play here. I love the example that we get of this, of God's power and our perseverance in Nehemiah uh, chapter 4, verse 9. So God's people are under threat in Nehemiah chapter 4. Serious threat, uh, not having restaurants closed or having flights canceled. Uh, they're under serious threat, violence, death. And we read of their response. We read in Nehemiah 4 that they prayed to God and stationed a guard to protect us both day and night. So they are working, they were working like it all rested on them, but they were praying like it all rested on God. And it is good to do both. It's not more spiritual to just say, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit around and wait for God's intervention. But we shouldn't go too far the other way and try and fix all of our problems in our own strength. Work like it all rests on you, but pray like it all rests on God. You're holding on. You're keeping hold of the traditions like his sovereignty and your free will. There is a beautiful unity in knowing that the power of God is enough to see you through, is enough to keep you holding on to the traditions, to keep you standing firm, to keep you moving forward in this very, very odd season of life that we're all living in. There's a beautiful unity in knowing that God's power is enough for that, but working hard enough that when he intervenes in your life, he's going to find you active. He's going to find you standing firm, glorifying him through what you're saying and what you're doing and working as hard as you possibly can to live within those lines, to hold on to the tradition, to keep going forward. When he intervenes, he's going to find you active. So Paul's been talking about some past progress, encouraging them for that, some present error, correcting them on that. And he's now paused for prayer. And he's saying, look, because you are saved, please stand firm, keep going, hold on to what you know to be true. And now he closes his prayer with a prayer. Uh, read verses 16 and 17 with me. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do 
or say. So Paul is praying that the same God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope. God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who have already, he's written this in the past tense, who've already, you have been given, you've got it already, eternal comfort and hope. We'll pray that this same God, Jesus Christ himself, we're praying for you that he will now encourage your hearts, strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. And if there's a better passage for uh, you need to do some stuff uh, empowered by God, uh, then I'd love to see it. We pray that God who's already given you eternal comfort and good hope, he will now give you, he will now encourage you and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say, the eternal comfort and good hope have already been given. They are yours. They are there. What a resource for you to be able to tap into. And Paul is now praying that the same God who's given eternal hope, eternal comfort, good hope, will now strengthen you as you move forward. He writes that God, I love how he writes this. He writes that, I'm going to pray that God's going to strengthen and encourage you, literally now, in every good work or word. Everything you're doing, everything you're saying, it matters. It's so important what you do. It's so important what you say. Paul's praying, we're praying that God's going to encourage you and strengthen you. Not just to sit around and do nothing and wait for him to come back. In everything that you're out there doing and saying. He's already prayed, hasn't we? That we're so thankful. We are in awe that to God, of God, because God has chosen you for salvation. And now we're praying that you'll take it seriously, that you will get involved, that you will be active. You will partner with God in this. You will stand firm and you will hold on. We pray that you'll be encouraged and strengthened in everything that you're doing and everything that you're saying, all your work and your words. You're standing firm and you're holding on. And as for the Thessalonians, as for you and for me, what a huge, huge privilege that is, that God who made heaven and earth has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and by faith in the truth. What a privilege it is for you and for me that this is ultimately going to lead us to possessing the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is, isn't he, the beginning and the end of the reason why, the reason how we are even able to be sanctified as the dirty, rotten sinners that we are. Jesus, who's the object, we're going to possess the glory of Jesus, who is the object of the faith through which we are saved by grace. This same Jesus who is the bridge and the branch between us in our 
fallen, sinful state and God in his altogether holy and righteous state. The same Jesus we're going to possess the glory of and it's only because of who he is and what he did that we're even able to approach God in prayer. Because of all of this, because of who Jesus is, what he's done and what he's promised to do and our faith in him, we're called to stand firm and hold on, to keep going. It doesn't matter what's going on around you or for you or to you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And the truths that Paul is praising God in prayer for are still true. So he's saying to them, he's showing them through what he's writing, the tradition that he is teaching them here, as he is doing, he is teaching them. It's the same for us. The uncommon sense, what we do in the midst of whatever we are going through, is to pause and to pray. Just stop and pause and pray. Don't work harder to try and change your circumstances. Pray harder that God will show you why this is going on, that God will change you through your circumstances. More often than not in Scripture, people have changed through circumstances, not delivered from circumstances. And maybe you don't feel like this is particularly relevant uh, to you and your life right now. But one of the elders said to me this week that even if we are not going through something particularly challenging ourselves right now, we all know somebody who is. And how true is that? Even if this last 12 months has not impacted you personally, particularly negatively, you most likely know somebody who's lost a job, lost a loved one, moved away, had to postpone or cancel some plans that were really, really important to them. Some people have missed out on really important life events with the loved ones in their lives. So pause and pray for them. Show some uncommon sense and pause and pray and remember that God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation and sanctification by the Spirit and your faith in the truth. Show a bit of uncommon sense in this very, very strange season that we're living in and hold on to the traditions that you are being taught here, the full counsel of Scripture, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, whether you gather with us just on a Friday whether you listen to our midweek teaching, whether you read it daily with us, whether you sharpen in others with it in a small group during the week, whether it's by speech or by letter, show a bit of uncommon sense and hold on to the traditions that you're being taught during difficult times. We should show a bit of uncommon sense, pause and pray, and just remember that God has already given you as Paul has written, eternal comfort, good hope. Remember that God has already shown you in the most spectacular way. 
possible how much he loves you. There's nothing else that he could have done or given or said to prove his love for you. Nothing else, more, nothing more than what we're going to commemorate and celebrate Easter week. Remember that by his grace, he's already given you eternal comfort and good hope. Those resources are there waiting for you to pause and to pray and to take hold of. So much of Second Thessalonians has been up until now, hasn't it, about this idea of showing a bit of uncommon sense, about acting and reacting differently to the world around us when things are really difficult. So, if you're struggling right now with something in particular, if you're just a bit fed up of the way that the world is, is working at the moment, whether you are or you aren't, I would really, really encourage you to just pause and to pray and remember that God has already shown you how much He loves you. He chose you for salvation. He's given you eternal comfort and hope. It is there for you already. So please, please take it. Pause and pray and He will encourage you and strengthen you in all that you do or say today and tomorrow and every day. Let's pray.